Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, I do thank you that it is trustworthy and true, and thank you for your, your presence here and your spirit here working in our midst uh, to the glory and honor of Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. Okay, we go to uh, 1 Corinthians 5. This is the last in our series, Love Thy Neighbor. Uh, and again, this is one that Marcos, uh, who's not here today, they're traveling away as several people in the church are today. Uh, he, wanted, he assigned me to preach on. So I'm going to start uh, with verse 1. Just read the whole chapter. <clears throat> Paul's writing here and he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you rather not to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord." Your boasting is not good. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the, whole, the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. No, it's okay. Well, a lot of my good illustrations come from our travels in Scotland, and Oh, it's been about a decade or so ago. We were on holiday up in Scotland, and we decided to stay on an island called Ling that's off the coast of Scotland, not far from a city called Oban. And uh, we were driving around, very small island, a very dark place spiritually, frankly. Uh, and we were driving around, and we went past the old church and the, and the graveyard, and on the outside of, in the, in the wall of the graveyard was this headstone, this gravestone, and we couldn't read a lot of it uh, because it was very small print. So the headstone was maybe a meter tall and in very small print, no more than two, three centimeters high, uh, there was writing on this headstone. Uh, and what we could make out were things like, cursed be the one who does not keep the Sabbath. Cursed be the, the one who does this. Cursed be the one who does that. Cursed be, cursed be, 
There's a couple of people that came into the back. So, cursed be. And we're like, this is really weird. Uh, and later on, we found out the story of the guy. Uh, the guy was a, a man by the name of, of Alexander Campbell, who was the leader of a sect that broke off from the established Church of Scotland, the established Presbyterian Church, in 1787. And they formed their own congregation known as the Covenanters of Lorne. Uh, but he found that none of his followers would keep the word of God like he did. So uh, eventually he expelled everybody from the church except himself. Because everybody else didn't live up to the right standard. They, they, they weren't good enough. They didn't live it up. Uh, and this guy was almost against everything. Let me let you, I, I want to read to you uh, a list of the things that he was against. And I think some of these things are actually written on the gravestone. Uh, he was against the Church of Scotland, the Reformed Presbytery, King George III. He was against letter-learned men that are not taught in the College of Zion, uh, but in the College of Babylon. That's college-educated people. Uh, he was against them that lift up the dead, against play actors and pictures, women having habits and veils, head sails as umbrellas. Uh, he was against dancing schools as it is the work of the flesh, against women that wear Babylonish garments that are rigged out with stretched out necks, tinkling as they go, against the low country as they are not kind to strangers, against gentlemen against ships that keep their course against the wind, that's steamboats, uh, against fanners of corn who make use of artificial drafts, that's people who use winnowing machines. He was against men and women to be conformed to the world and having dresses, vain head sails, as children having plaiting on the top of sticks to the wind, uh, that women should become bairns, that is, dressed like men, uh, so that men have whiskers like ruffian soldiers. Anybody got whiskers here? Sorry, he was against you, and he would have kicked you out of his church. Uh, men have whiskers like ruffian soldiers, as wild as Ishmael, not like Christians, as Jacob, smooth. Uh, here's his final thing. He said, I, as a dying man, leave my dying testimony against Quakers, tabernacle folk, Chaldeans, Independents, Anabaptists, Anniebergers, Burgers, Chapels of Ease, Relief, Roman Catholics, Socinians, Prelacies, Arminians, Deists, Atheists, Universalists, New Jerusalemites, Unitarians, Methodists, Barians, Glassites, and Sectarians. How about that? There was a guy named Dr. Somerville who was actually a, a leader in... Uh, uh, re of Reformed Presbyterians who knew the guy, and he said this about him. Sandy is an honest man, but full of spiritual pride. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You can see that. You can see that tombstone. And a lot of times, you know, we laugh at this, uh, although he took it very seriously, and so did a lot of other people, but we don't think that sometimes this is how Christians seem to the world. Seems like we're against anybody and everything. Uh, and oftentimes we are known a lot more by the things we're against than by the things we are for. 
Uh, We might be an honest person like old Sandy there, but we're known for our spiritual pride, not for our honesty. We're known for the darkness in our hearts rather than for Jesus. And a lot of times the justification for some of the positions that Christians take come out of passages like 1 Corinthians 5. People have used 1 Corinthians 5 for generations to try to exclude people from the faith, from the church, that did things that they just didn't agree with, that maybe they wore a beard when they thought all the men should not have beards, uh, or maybe the person played poker, uh, played cards, uh, went to the cinema, went to the theater. Uh, Any number of things like that have been used to exclude people from fellowship, from proper fellowship. And so the question we need to ask is, that, is that a proper application of 1 Corinthians 5? Should we use this to exclude anybody that we think has sinned, or did Paul have a different kind of meaning here? This passage is really powerful because it parallels a lot of what is happening in Western Christianity today. So notice the background. I'm just going to go quickly through the passage for you. Notice the background. Paul is writing here. This is a second letter uh, that Paul has written to them. Even though we call it 1 Corinthians, we think it's at least the second letter. They've written back to him, and this letter is a response to them. And so he said, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. This is, there, there was an incestuous relationship. Now, we don't know exactly what it was. We don't know if it was a mother and son uh, that were being sexually immoral together. We don't know if the man had divorced his first wife, married another wife, and then his next wife decided to take up with the son or the son seduced her. Uh, we don't know the dynamic that's going on there. What we do know is it was a pretty distorted kind of situation. It was a distorted situation, and not only was the situation distorted like that, but the church was boasting of how open and flexible it was. So they were saying, hey, we're really Christians here. We're really doing the right thing because we're welcoming in these people that wouldn't even have been welcomed in pagan society because the sexual immorality was so disgusting and so off-putting. And so the Corinthians were saying, hey, we welcome everybody. And Paul said, hey, you guys are so arrogant. You're boasting. You shouldn't do that. What you're doing is not something to boast about. It's something to be ashamed of. It's something that you should not be doing as followers of Jesus Christ. And so what does he say to do? He says, though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on this thing. This is bad. He says, this is bad. This is wrong. It's not something for you to celebrate. It's not something for you to rejoice in. So when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So what does Paul say? They should re- how, how should they respond? He says you need, when you gather together as a body, you need to hand the guy over to Satan. Now what does this mean? 
It means effectively to say, this is sin, this is wrong, and you cannot continue in our fellowship if you continue in this sin. Instead, you need to repent. But until you repent, you have no real place in our fellowship. And the idea, remember, Peter tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. How does a lion, a roaring lion, get something to devour? He separates someone off from the herd. And so Paul's saying, let this guy be separate from the herd. Let him be devil bait. Not so that he is sent to hell. Not so that you say, oh, we condemn you and you're a foul person. Uh, But so that he might be able to do to resist the flesh, destroy the flesh, the operation of that sinful aspect of his humanity so that his spirit might be saved. In other words, the purpose here is so this guy won't be lost. So this guy would come follow Jesus. Now we don't know if the guy had had, had a genuine conversion experience and just uh, was overcome by the power of his flesh or maybe the guy was not converted. He thought he was a Christian. He was pretending to be a Christian Uh, but he wasn't really. Uh, We don't know that, but the purpose then of saying, hey, we've got to separate ourselves from you is so that he will learn, he'll be able to resist that and hopefully surrender his life to Jesus. Unfortunately, something like this today is just almost ineffective because people will just go to another church. Now, I remember a couple in, in our first church, sadly, that uh, was ha- were having an affair. They refused to repent. Well, they repented at first, and then they went back to the affair, and then they said, well, we're just going to be together. And we as a church, we took the very difficult decision of saying, okay, well, we're sorry. If you're going to take that attitude, then you're no longer members of this fellowship. Uh, and so they just went uh, about 20 miles away to another town, uh, to another church that believed a lot of the same that we believed. Um, the pa- they told the pastor what they'd done, and the pastor said, oh, that's fine, come on into the church. And within a year, the guy was on the worship team and in the leadership of the church. By the way, within three years, the pastor of the church had resigned because of sexual immorality. And that's the kind of thing that happens today all the time, but... It doesn't change the response. The response should be one of horror. The response should be one of, hey, that is just not acceptable here in this place. Now, the reason is not because the sin is so bad and so sinful. The reason is for the health of the church and for the proclamation of the gospel. Notice what Paul goes on to say. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Now here at this point, you might start thinking the old leaven is the guy. The old leaven is not the guy. The old leaven is the sin. The old leaven is the sin. As you really are unleavened. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil. See, it's the sin. It's not the person. But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So this whole thing revolves around the health of the fellowship and the gospel of Jesus. If a fellowship willingly embraces anything and everyone, no matter what they do, then no church can stand and no church will survive. 
The fellowship has to have standards that reflect the Bible so that the gospel also has integrity. I remember about 30 years ago in a denomination in the United States, one of their ministers decided that he wanted to become a Buddhist. And so he converted to Buddhist. This is an ordained pastor in the denomination. He converted to Buddhism, uh, but he, he didn't want to resign his church because he didn't see that there was anything incompatible between Christianity and Buddhism. And the denomination let him stay. When you don't have standards, it weakens the integrity of the church and also weakens the power of the gospel. And for Paul, it's about a healthy church and a healthy proclamation of the gospel. Those two things are always in balance. It's not about what we are against. It's about what we are for. It's not about what we are against. It's about what we are for. We're for the gospel and we're for the health of our fellowship. It would be like with Karen and I in our marriage. Uh, thankfully, praise God, you know, we've been married over 34 years. We've been faithful to one another during that time. You know, but, but imagine if I said, well, you know, maybe I should go and have an affair or something like that. Should Karen resist that? Of course she should. Why? Because she's against adultery? Well, she is against adultery, but Karen is more in favor of a healthy marriage than she is against adultery. Does that make sense? And she knows that if I'm committing adultery, then it's also going to weaken the proclamation of the gospel. So this is about what we are for rather than what we are against. Why does petrol that you put into your car have to be reasonably pure? It's so that your car will function properly. It's not that I'm necessarily against contaminated petrol, but I'm actually more in favor of a car that operates as it should operate. And, we, and this is very important, and it's a distinction that is often lost on Christians today uh, and we allow other people to put us in a corner. We allow other people to back us into saying, oh, we're against this, we're against this, instead of persisting to say, no, I'm in favor of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there's power over sin, that he's paid the price of our sins on the cross, and I'm in favor of healthy churches that have integrity that can reach their communities in healthy ways. And that's the power and then Paul goes on, and it's important to see this background to understand the last few verses, because the last few verses are often then taken out of context for the rest of this in order to exclude other people. It's one of the reasons why there's so many denominations up in Scotland, as I've said the last couple of weeks, because people like to exclude other people who have differences of opinion, most of the time that are absolutely legitimate differences of opinion, but they'd rather exclude them than reconcile them, and they will use this passage in order to justify exclusion. So what does he say? He says, I wrote to you in my letter, this is the first letter he sent, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would, not, you would need uh, to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother 
if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, what is Paul saying here? Key word here is this word associate. Associate. It literally means to mix together with other people socially and intentionally and persistently. So the idea is where we're, we're going to hang out and, and we're going to we're going to be together all the time. We're going to influence each other as much as we possibly can. Now, Paul says, you've got to associate with people in the world. But people in the world do not have the ability, if you're standing in Jesus, to contaminate you. I talk to so many Christians who are afraid to go into, say, like a pub or a bar uh, or a club area or something like that because they say, oh, you know, I, I don't want this evil stuff to rub off on me. We need to have more confidence in the glory of God and Jesus Christ. We need to have more faith in God's ability to bless us and keep us than we have faith in the world's ability to cause us to go astray. Now, I'm not saying if you've got a particular problem or weakness in an area to flaunt that, but at the same time, Paul's saying we do have to hang out with people in the world. We need to have lunch with them. We need to spend time with guys in our workplaces so that we can share the good news about Jesus with them. We need to be doing these kinds of things. But, Paul says, we must not be associating with somebody, and we need to understand his language here, Associating with somebody who is naming himself as a brother. And this is a key thing, our sister. So the person here Paul is talking about is someone who's saying, I'm a committed Christian, I'm following Jesus, and I'm doing the right thing, and I'm not doing anything wrong. That's the attitude that he's talking about. He's not talking about a Christian who sins. I mean, it'd be shocking to you, I sin from time to time, at least once a year, uh, sometimes more often, okay, a lot times more often, uh, so I hope that you'll still hang out with me, because when I sin, I try to repent, uh, as soon as the Holy Spirit shows me, or sometimes one of you show me, and I repent, and I turn away from my sin. That's not the kind of person Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about someone who takes a stand and says, I am a Christian I am following Jesus and I'm doing the right thing and I'm doing it within my rights and this is my stand, okay? That's the attitude. So don't mix it up, don't hang out, don't be associating with somebody who takes that attitude, claims to be a brother, and is. Uh, now the language here in the, in the English, is, it's difficult to render but the, the language implies somebody who is doing this on a persistent, ongoing, unrepentant basis. So in other words, it's somebody who would even label themselves in this way. So it's, it's the, the word guilty that's in the ESV is not in the actual Greek text. So it's somebody who's taking the stand, who's saying, I am a brother, I am a sister, I'm doing absolutely the right thing, but that person is willfully, persistently, unrepentantly engaged in sinful activity. Not something that you just disagree with, 
but something that the Bible talks about as sin. And our problem is, in the body of Christ, we love to single out sexual immorality. But notice, Paul does not do that. What does Paul say here? He says, sexual immorality, this is somebody who is persistently sexually immoral and is claiming that it's the right thing. It's not somebody who's struggling. It's not somebody who's fallen into sin. It's somebody who's claiming this is the right thing. I'm going to persist in this. I'm not doing anything wrong and I'm going to keep on doing it. So there's sexual immorality and that covers a variety of sexual sin. But notice who the person is greedy. If somebody's wanting more and more and more and more and more and more, same category. Or if somebody is an idolater. Now, most of us don't have little Buddhas in our home or you know, other idols in our homes. Uh, but sometimes we can make an idol out of our money. We can make an idol out of our family. We can make an idol out of our children. That's being idolatry. That's engaging in idolatry. Or somebody who is a reviler. Now, this kind of person is the kind of person who is always talking against other people. Always talking against other people. Do you know people like that who, behind the backs of other people, they say, oh, you can't really trust this person, uh, don't really like this person, they've got this problem, they've got that problem, they've got this problem, they've got... and they're always pointing out the problems, they're always pointing out what's wrong, they're always pointing out the weaknesses. That is a slanderer or a reviler and Paul says, don't hang out with that person. Don't hang out with that person. Or the person could be a drunkard, somebody who's given over to drugs and alcohol, anything like that, and just says, hey, it doesn't matter if I get drunk. It doesn't matter how much I party. It doesn't matter that I smoke a joint every now and then and like to get high. You know, I'm still a Christian, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. That's the attitude. Uh, or a swindler. You know, somebody who's working behind the scenes, somebody who's always wanting more and trying to get other people to give them more. And that's the key difference here between the swindler and the greedy. The swindler is somebody who's trying to work an angle, maybe to get money from other people. Uh, and, you know, many times we get people who come in uh, from the street and they'll come in and they'll say, hey, I, I, need, I need money for, for my electric bill. Or, and occasionally... They have a legitimate, it's a legitimate issue. Many times it's not. And that would be what the Bible calls a swindler. Somebody who's trying to get that handout, to get something from you that they don't deserve. And Paul says, if somebody is saying, I am a Christian, there's nothing wrong, and I'm going to keep on doing these things, we don't associate with those people. Notice how that's a fairly limited category. Although it's getting bigger, in our world today, but that's a fairly limited category. He is not talking about people who are struggling with a sin issue in their life. He's not talking about people who may be the alcoholic who's struggling with drink, but wants to repent, wants to get over it, wants to get well. He's not talking about the person who has fallen into sexual sin, but wants to repent and wants to be healed by God. He's not talking about the person who wants to do well in their job and, and have a higher income, but the person who just can't stop, and they need more and they need more and they need more. He's not talking about many of the people that churches want to exclude. 
And so he says, folks, you need to judge what's happening on the inside of the church. Now, he's not saying that we judge them personally. He's not saying that we say, oh, you're going to hell because you're doing this. He's not saying that we tell them you're not worthy of the gospel of Jesus because you're taking this stand. But he is saying that if somebody is saying to you, I'm a Christian and I'm doing this thing and you know it's sin and they will not repent from it, he's saying you do have to take a stand with that. You do have to make a judgment call with that and then take appropriate action, not individually, but corporately as the body of Christ. But with the people outside the world, the people that are on the streets, we don't judge them. It's not our responsibility. Jesus will do that. We don't have to go on the street corners and tell people that they're dying in sin. People kind of know that. We don't have to go around and try to convince the, the LGBT lobby that they're in error, that they're wrong, uh, if they're not walking in Jesus Christ. That's not our job. God's job is to judge those outside the church our job is to make a judgment regarding people who are behaving this way. But always in grace, always in love, and always with the realization that our primary responsibility, what we are for, is the health and integrity of the church as the body of Christ and the integrity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead so that we could have forgiveness of sins, so that the power of sin, death, and hell would be broken in our lives, so that we would no longer be subject to the world, the flesh, and the devil, but so that we could live in real freedom, not the fake freedom of the world, but the real freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ having genuine, authentic, loving relationships with one another and being in union with one another through Jesus Christ. We are called to love one another. We are called to love our neighbor. And we need, even in these rare situations, and they do happen, when we have to take a stand, when we have to say, no, that is not acceptable and you're not even welcome to come to the communion table because of the stand that you're taking against the, the word of God, against the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to remember and keep foremost in our minds that it's Jesus that we want to exalt. It's the health of the church that we're about. It's not about being against people, but it's about being in union with one another. It's about being for one another. It's about proclaiming Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for all that you do and how you speak to us. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to love one another as you love us. Lord, I pray that as a church, you would protect us from those that would be the kind of person like Paul talked about in this context, who would claim to be a brother and yet take a stand for willful, persistent, unrepentant sin. I pray, Father, that as a church we would never have to take this action because our hearts would be soft. And I pray, Father, as a church that you would help us to be known for what we are for, not what we are against. 
that you'd help us to be known as a church that chooses not to judge those in the world, leaving that to God, but chooses to promote the health and integrity of our fellowship and the integrity of the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come to your table now, I pray that you'd stir in our hearts to draw us closer and closer to Jesus. I pray that you'd bless the bread and the cup, that they would be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. I pray that you would use them to remind us of our union with Jesus Christ and the love that you have for us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We love you, we honor you, we worship you, and we adore you. And we thank you and praise you for all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This table.